Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good evening, Razorback fans. Welcome to the one, the only Hog Talk podcast, live from the Sterling Soap and Roastery Studios, part of the Believe in Buzz Radio Networks on 106.7 in Central Arkansas. All live shows are presented to you by Arkansas Brewing Company in downtown Ozark. I am Porter Hayes, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Hall. We are also brought to you by Bet Online. Continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, include live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And joining us live uh, via the Metters Lumber Hotline is Mike Irwin of Pig Trail Nation. Mike, I, I really appreciate you taking time on your day off to, to join us on the podcast. And uh, again, thank you for your time. Yeah, good to be here. Love to talk hog. Love love to talk to hogs. You know, yeah, good or bad. It's it's it, and it's been quite an interesting couple of weeks, um, and then that's reason why I wanted to to bring you on because you know in in the lost in transition of the the era of text messaging and and you know talking back and forth via Twitter or Facebook, you know some kind of context gets lost in transition. So I wanted to have you on to really. Talk about really just the state of the program right now. How bad is it right now, in your opinion, and somebody who has covered the Razorbacks as long as you have? I remember a couple weeks ago or a month ago, you you took a picture of when you first got here back in the 70s. So a lot has changed since then. But as somebody who's covered a lot of coaching changes, where does this rank as where you see things right now? Well, I think you have to first of all point out that the Broyles, I mean, the Frank Broyles era in 19 years had a great deal of success. In the 1960s, Arkansas, I think, was second or third in the nation in to- total wins through the decade. And they won one national championship, but came, came within a touchdown or two of winning two more. So that was the high point. But even after Luce took over, Luce probably the only coach I've ever heard of that, that was at a school for any length of time. I think he was here six years and never had a losing season, but got fired. And that's because he was following Broyles and the standard had been set. And so then you, you know, you, you bring on uh, Ken Hatfield and Hatfield actually has the highest winning percentage of any Razorback coach. And he was not fired, but Frank was not happy with a lot of things that happened uh, early midpoint of his tenure and really forced some changes that made the team better. I mean, he ended, he, he got a, the defense. He wanted the defensive coordinator gone, and he got him a job as the head coach at Rice and got rid of him. And then Hatfield made a change and brought in Jack Crow as offensive coordinator, and they went to back-to-back Cotton Bowls. But then you get into the SEC, and it's been a whole different ball of wax because that conference is just loaded with players, loaded with teams, Arkansas in the old days only had to beat one or two teams in in the Southwest Conference to be right up there competing for a championship. But still, in those early years in the conference, there would be off years, but nothing consistent. And then, of course, Nutt came along and had a lot of success, but there was controversy that came with that, but he's still the most successful 
coach over a long period of time since they've gone to the SEC. Then Petrino comes in, and you have two really good years out of three. And then it's just been downhill since then. And I've told people that part of the problem Sam Pittman's got is that he's carrying the burden of that John L. Smith season, of of Brett Bielema coming in and having a terrible first year, then a little bit better and a little bit better, and then it crashes and burns. And then it gets even worse when you have, you know, Chad Morris. So he's dealing with the frustration that fans have over all of that. Uh, generally, the standard for firing a coach at most places is he has to have at least back-to-back losing seasons. And certainly Sam Pittman hasn't had that. I mean, you'd almost have to look to next year, and if he had, if he has a, and I don't know that he'll have a losing season this year. It looks like it. So if he did it two years in a row, I think he'd be gone. I just don't think he's going to get fired this year. I, 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 I could be wrong, but I've talked to a lot of different people that know what's going on up there, and I think, and look, guys, when you take off your Razorback fan all the things you bring to the table as a fan, and you talk to somebody objective that, that's not a Razorback fan. And I've got a lot of friends that are, they support other teams because I grew up in Texas. I got a lot of friends there that are Baylor fans, TCU fans, Texas Tech fans. And when I talk to them about Arkansas, they're like, you know, they're probably one of the better teams that has a losing record right now because you look at that. First of all, they got that four-game stretch where they play the four best teams in the SEC West mm-hmm. back to back to back to back, and so far with three of them, every one of those games has been winnable. Plus, the BYU game was winnable. Yeah. It's not like you got blown out. So they're saying, "Look, you got some offensive problems, yes, but your defense is much better than it was, and it's getting better every game." So the whole focus really is on. What the hell's wrong with the offensive line? And what's up with Dan Enos? And that's where the focus is, and that's where all the problems have come from, and that's where you get all the pushback on social media. Do do you think that, you know, would things be different in the the perspective of the trajectory of this program if they would not have won nine games the year before opposed to if they went – three and seven, and then maybe five and seven, and, and then a slowly trend to where they are now. Do you think that nine-win season put a lot of pressure on him and it's kind of come around to bite him in the butt? Yeah, maybe with fans. And yes. not all fans because, look, you, I, I try to go and talk to people in real life wherever I go. If I'm at Walmart or I'm at go out to the movies or wherever I go, I see people and I try to talk to people face to face and you get a very different reaction when you do that. There's no question that the fact that you're kind of anonymous on the internet, you're behind a a computer screen, you can do what you want. That frees people up to say what they want to say. So you maybe get a little bit of a false impression, but here's what I would say about what you're talking about, which is does, does a coach need to come in and kind of get better every year or can you accept some little, some ups and downs? And I would say, it's not a matter of what you, me or anyone else, how they react. It's the AD. He's the only one that matters because he's the one that's, that's going to make the decision if, if he ever, and I, I've said this, I don't believe Sam Pittman will ever be fired. I think if it comes to it, he will resign. I know him well enough to know that I don't think he, if he saw that it was imminent and, Hunter Urechek was on a, under a lot of pressure from people that really 
kind of give big bucks to the program or whatever. And that's the other thing. I don't sense right now there's a big push from the big boosters to do something right now. Uh, but the, there's no question that internet thing is there. It's always going to be there. And it's not just Arkansas. If you read it and, and you, you read what goes on at other schools, it's just, it's there. And I don't even have a problem with it because I was talking to somebody about the other day and I said, look, I grew up in a little town in Texas where high school football was the biggest thing any day of the week. It didn't matter. It could be the middle of the summer. It could be basketball season. It was still high school football that people cared about. And privately among their each other's friend to friend, somebody talking, they'd say all kinds of crazy stuff about the coach, the players. They'd criticize the players. I heard it all the time. But publicly, there was no such criticism. And that's the difference in the Internet is now it's not any different. Fans have been griping and bitching about players and coaches, and you're terrible and you're fat and you're stupid and you should have never been hired. They've been saying stuff like <laughs> yeah. that forever. But they didn't say it publicly where you can get on Twitter or, or Facebook and read it. And that is the different part of it. And, and so I don't have an, a problem with it because I don't think people have really changed. I think they just have a different outlet than they've had before social media. So looking at social media, um, I recall like a a tweet you put out, I believe during the game Saturday, and it was comparing Dan Enos to Joe Craddock. And I, I, I had not honestly myself thought about that comparison, but you were absolutely right in it because I think we get so wrapped up in who Dan Enos immediately replaced, and then Dan Enos' time here before. So what kind of responses did you get? I mean, I read through some of the comments or replies to it, but how how did some of the fans react with that? Well, it was I was kind of halfway kidding. I mean, I don't think that (laughs) – I think Enos has a better offense than Craddock had because Arkansas didn't win a SEC game in two years. And I do believe they'll win some SEC games this year. So I was joking around a little bit. Now, Connor Nolan's mom, who apparently knew him and took a lot of offense to me saying that, she tweeted back at me, and I haven't said anything about it. I mean, I can take it. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have said it. And the thing was, as soon as I posted it, Arkansas scored a touchdown. I've seen that. So I'm like, oops. You know, that's what happens every time you do that. So it's really kind of kidding around. But the, the thing is, that it, it's just the fact that you think they're five, what, five, six games, five games, right? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I've gone, yeah, five games, four. No, there's six games. Six games. Six two, games yeah, two and four right now. Six games into the season, and you'd think at some point they could start figuring this stuff out. Now, I'm listening to Pittman's press conference where he talks about, and, and the problem's started it, it, it all starts with the offensive line guys I'll tell you right now yes I think the the offense last year under Kendall Bryles fit KJ better but he would be all right in this offense if he had a better offensive line and if you had a, a, a running game that's where the problems start but the issue is why do they have these problems and I think it's it's pretty complex it starts with the fact that at the first game of the year there were teams stunning and moving the D-lines were moving around. And that is, I can tell you, just from my years ago as a, on a high school team, watching our offensive linemen deal the week they were playing a team where the defense stunt, 
stunted and moved on the snap of the ball. On Sunday, the coaches would, the offensive line coach would get them in a room, draw up all these stunts, and, and they would send it home. And you got, you had Sunday night to go home and study all the things they're going to do. Then when you came out on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, they put the scout team doing that against you. And, and hopefully by the time you got to the game, you would be able to, to handle that. But some of that, listening to Pittman, you, your scout team is not the other team's defensive line. They're, the, the other team's defensive line is quicker when they do those stunt movements. And sometimes they can blow right by you. So I think some of it is still confusion. I mean, D.J. Williams did a breakdown on our uh, game day show before the uh, Ole Miss game, and it was very telling. He, he pointed out how many times two offensive linemen blocked one guy and left somebody open because it, it, they got confused. One of them did. You know, it would be each situation is different. So you've got some, a lack of discipline there, a, a, a lack of understanding of what, how you move under a certain stunt this guy moves in front of me left. I, I got to, I either go block somebody. Somebody's probably going to come right in front of you. So do you stay where you are and block him? Do you move to your right? There are rules on that and they're getting it wrong. And some of, in some instances, the running back who's supposed to block is blocking the wrong guy. And all of this has created a lot of confusion. And I think that the, so when you get past the offensive line and problem number two, is, is how this all has affected KJ because it's got his head spinning. And you could see that in the Ole Miss game because it, it was almost like if you've ever been in a, in a car where the engine's knocking and, and, it's, and the, it's not tuned right and it kind of running rough and then it kicks in for a while and it runs all right and then it starts running rough again, that's what the offense looked like. When he had two or three successful plays in a row, KJ started being himself again. Wow, okay. And then Ty Washington opens up. There's a target that I can throw to. And it works, and you score, and you're going, wow, okay, they got it figured out now. Then the next time somebody gets a penalty or KJ reads, makes a wrong read and lose, gets sacked for a two, three, four-yard loss, and it goes the other way. So I think he's dealing with interceptions. He's dealing with getting sacked, and he doesn't have the confidence that he had before. And that is the biggest problem right now, I believe. Uh, I don't know how you tell somebody, hey, you're all right, you know, fight through all this. This is a guy that's been successful. I mean, the first game he ever played against Missouri when he was a freshman, he did a great job. He hasn't had these issues. The only bad games he's had up until this season were games when he was hurt. He's not hurt right now. He might be banged up a little bit, but it's not like last year. So – to me, it's more mental, and I don't know how you get him out of that. I really don't. The only thing that works is if you have success. Uh, somebody had brought up to me a couple weeks ago, they, they were mentioning that the, the way Danny knows blocking scheme is, how he runs his offensive line is way different than what Browse. Browse wanted to stretch it out and, and really spread out the offensive line. Danny knows wants you to really come in close, two tight end set, and run up the middle. And this leads to one of our questions is, you know, do you feel like the O-line has regressed because of Kennedy? Do you think, you know, he has anything to do with this? Or is this just one of the things where you think that it is more so of execution opposed to what Enos is wanting to do with his blocking? 
Yeah, when you start hearing people say this guy should be fired or that guy should be fired, well, in Kennedy's case, where were the complaints against him last year or the year before? This is all new, and and it's it's understandable. You're gonna if you're a fan, you're gonna blame him. The O line looks bad, but you hit on something very important. Um, when I was in high school, our offensive line took wide splits, and defenses have a choice. You want to get you want to shoot into those gaps. That's fine, but you got blocking rules where you somebody shoots that gap, you block down on them, and you got a a hole that you can run a truck through. But when you line these guys up shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. The defense is able to do that, and it makes it much harder to run the ball off tackle. Now, I was watching some stuff from practice today that one of our guys had shot, and it looks like they were doing some quick pitch movements, trying to quick pitch, get the ball out on the edge a, a little quicker. Maybe that'll work. I don't understand why occasionally they'll get that. We keep hearing we got to get KJ out of that out of that pocket and get him moving. We got to get him moving. And and when they do, it works. He's at his best when he rolls out where he can see. And we know that he's not a read progression guy. He's not a guy that sits there and goes through three or four progressions. He's got one or two targets that he likes. When Traylon Burks was here, it was one target, you know. Yeah. But <clears throat> he likes a guy and he knows where he is. If he can see him, okay, I'm going to throw to him. I have confidence in him. So he's better – when he rolls out and gets out into that, that part of the uh, right or left, that part of the line of scrimmage to the right or left where, you, where you're away from all those linemen and you can see better. And he throws better that way. Now, also, Ty Washington, that's a big problem solved because when, you know, Haas went down, has went down, I keep mispronouncing that, has went down, there was like, what do we do now? Because they, they really needed that. Well, now you've got the answer to that. So, I don't know. You could make an argument that there, if, if if somebody would just make one or two changes and they could get this thing going, the real issue, guys, I don't think they're going to beat Alabama, but the real issue is what happens after that? you got four SEC games. I made this point. There's not one of those teams that is better than the teams they've lost to. Missouri's probably the best one that they still have to play after Alabama. And Missouri just lost to LSU at Missouri. So you're going to tell me that any of those teams are better than the teams already Arkansas has already played and lost to, and they were all close games? You would think if you get past the Internet, I'm, I'm ticked off, I'm going to just say they're going to lose every game. That doesn't make a lot of sense given what where they're at and what they've done because – now the quality drops off a little bit, and maybe you're able to win those games. But it's still a challenge. I mean, they got to win three of those four, I think, to to uh, to be bowl eligible. So mm-hmm. can they do that? I, I don't know. Uh, but it, on the one hand, I I say to myself, it's not as bad as everybody thinks. On the other hand, I go, yeah, but I may be wrong about that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I was going to ask too is, you know, that whole, you know, elephant in the room of the third and one under center shotgun, that, that big debacle. I mean, what do you think has been the reasoning behind the shotgun? And finally they, they showed their, that they could go under center and convert on, on a third and one. What do you, what has been the holdup on that? And 
is that an Enos thing or is that just a Pittman deal? Right. What has been the big deal between – why has it taken so long to finally get under center? I think it was an Enos thing because Pittman kept explaining it by saying – and the way he talked, he didn't say, I decided this. He was like, we, we, we. And I think the feeling was that the way they were blocking, it wasn't going to work if they lined up and did the push. But we, it, it, this is one of those things that – those rare things where I really look at a, a, a coaching staff and a bunch of – because I'm a big believer – that these guys are do what they do every day, sometimes 8, 10, 12 hours a day. We don't do that. We watch games, and then we talk about it all the time. So I'm a big believer that coaches really know things that we don't know, and therefore something may look a certain way to us. But if we were in that room every day watching all that video of the, of the previous games and the practice, they shoot practice from about six angles. By the time they go home at night, they just, you know, gone through this over and over and over again so most of the time I, I get a little skeptical when people start questioning well why did you do this why did you do that but that that the way they were doing that fourth down just made no sense anybody could see it uh, an eight-year-old kid could see it and then they they finally did it that way to me that was stubbornness yeah and that i blame i blame sam for that i think he just got stubborn and said i'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna make this work out of the shotgun and we're gonna prove them wrong and he ended up having to go the other direction. But I would also add this. What I kept saying over and over again is, why Why is that your only option? Why are those only your two options? How about every once in a while you go to the outside? I've seen teams do that. How about you throw the ball? Uh, or how about you punt? If you, That's the number one thing. If you've got an offensive line that's got block, uh, uh, blocking problems and you're not down big, it's not toward the end of the game, which a lot of these fourth down shorts haven't been. Just punt the ball, you know, and come back and do it the next time. So and there was just a lot of mistakes. And especially how good the defense has been. You know, your defense has really been holding you. Another thing you were talking about, you know, lining up and passing. Well, they did that against the B, against BYU. They lined up in the th- center and threw an out pass. And that's what was so – boggling to me is like they've tried it in the game. It ain't like they've never done this or never done yeah. it in practice. And another thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, Enos and, and Pittman are old school guys, and you got a captain. you got a guy that's three-year starter, six foot, 240, and you're telling him we and, – and I'm looking at this from a mental aspect. You're telling him we don't trust you to find a way to get us six inches – or a foot. I just wonder what that does to has that done anything to KJ mentally, or yeah. is that just he understands and that's just something we're not seeing behind closed doors? Well, we'd have to be there to know, and we're not. But I but I do think KJ's been been affected by this by the picks, by the by the all the sacks, by the by the losses. I think it, and I think that's his biggest issue right now. As I said before, is he's got to fight that off and figure out a way to go back and, and try to convince himself, I'm still the same guy I always was. I can still do this stuff. And I'm waiting for it to happen. I mean, I'm sitting here right now thinking to myself, okay, this has been a crazy, stupid year in college football. All kinds of nutty things have happened. And wouldn't it be just the way this thing is going that Arkansas loses all these games, and this is the year they break that losing streak against Alabama? I mean – Alabama's not a typical Alabama team. Now, they're still sitting there 
leading the West, which tells you what Saban's like as a coach because he does not have the players that he's had in the past, and he's still right there. But somebody's going to catch up to him. I know that. So who's it going to be? Texas has already beat him, and everybody thought Texas was the best team in the country. Well, I think, oh, you had something to say about that. So, you know, I think Alabama's beatable. Uh, and if they, especially if they were to overlook Arkansas, I like the fact that it's the 11 o'clock game there. This is supposedly the first 11 o'clock game at their stadium since 2016. So their fans, we know what those games are like. Fans yeah. kind of about half asleep when the game starts. So maybe it's not even full, you know? Um, so there's some things that could go in Arkansas's favor. I, I'm looking for the defense to play really well because that's, the, I think Alabama's defense is better than their offense. So I think, again, we're going to have problems moving the football on those guys if, if, if you don't figure out a way to get creative and get some of these things to work. If you don't get K.J. out on the corners, if you don't get receivers open quicker. And, and, and you know, this is what an offensive coordinator does, and this is where I'm critical of Enos because it is his job to figure these things out, and he hasn't done it. And, you know, that leads into this, and we'll end it on a, a good topic, a good note going into the Alabama game. And, and I told Adam on the, on the show on Sunday, you know, there's only so many times somebody's going to get hit and hit and hit and hit before they decide to start fighting back. Like like the, the Christmas story, you know, the kid finally gets picked on so much and he just fights back. Yeah. Um, so in this instance, you know, it, what is it going to take for really, like – to get things, I know we can go outside the offensive line. You know, what is it going to take for really things to really turn around? And what do you see, say, if Arkansas does pull off the upset and then comes back home and pulls off a win against Mississippi State? Now we're looking at a whole different outlook to this season. But what's going to finally be that thing that lights that spark, lights that flame, and really gets this thing going? I think the defense plays a role in it. I think if you can get them to uh, score – because they've shown the ability to score. So you get a game where maybe they get a score, maybe they get two scores, or they certainly force some turnovers that leads to touchdowns. So the defense has a role to play. But the offense, again, to me, you've got to get K.J. out on the corner. You've got to get him throwing a little bit better, but you've got to figure out a way to get the running game going too. And maybe what we saw in that practice session is part of that, you know. I haven't seen them doing that so far this year, the little quick toss out to the corner uh, with the running back in motion, and then you just turn and quick quick throw to him, and he's on the corner quick before these guys have a chance to react. Now, now are, so you we'll talking, are you talking about one of them that would be considered it would actually count as a pass play where they're running in front and the, the pitch forward and running it outside? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it looked like to me that, that the quarterback, and it wasn't KJ. They had a grad, you know, it looked like a grad assistant okay. doing this in the drill. But he's back there, and he just he's holding the ball as if it's already been snapped, and you've got to back off to your left or right. And he just starts in motion quickly, and it's just a turn and toss okay. out to the edge. And I haven't seen that before. I haven't seen that play run. And, and also, guys, what, what happened to the taking the snap under center? that we were all told last spring that they were going to do. And then yep. I didn't see much of it in the spring game. We didn't see any of it in August camp. I don't know. Again, that's a thing where if you can get KJ to, to do it, you've got a mesh point with your back when you're rolling out like that where you've got to mesh pretty quickly. But that 
that option of giving it to him or pulling it out freezes the defense just enough that if you pull it out as a quarterback and roll on out to the corner, you're taking advantage of what KJ does best. So again, they've got to do some some things to get quicker to the corners. When I've seen Arkansas attack the edge, it's been all lateral movement, just turn and go sideways, turn and throw the ball sideways. There's that's not working. So, and I, they're not going to do this. But one of the things I do is widen up those splits for the offensive linemen. But but you know that's something you got to work on for a whole year. That's part of the issue, guys, with the running game is they're just shoulder to shoulder. And that I've always thought that makes it way easier on a defense to stop the run. Oh yeah, especially when, when, with the athleticism of defensive linemen. Now we're not we're not going three fifty against three fifty anymore. You know your defensive line's a lot more slimmer and athletic now. But uh, Mike, uh, we really appreciate you coming on tonight again on your on your day off. I know this has been a real fun and, and crazy time for you, but somebody's been around the game for a long time. It's almost become like an every five ten year deal for you. So <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on. I enjoyed doing it, guys. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, and you have a good evening. You too. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That was Mike Irwin of Pig Trail Nation having him on. Uh, a lot of good insight. I mean, I, that's why I wanted to have him on, Adam. You know, you see mm-hmm. the back and forth and the context, and for him to be able to come on and, and really give an in-depth aspect of what he's seen. And this guy's been mm-hmm. around every coaching change since the 70s, so – if anybody has anything, any insider knowledge of what's going on inside that program, that that's the guy to have come on and talk about it, and and of course getting through it. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing with the fans, you know, you've heard they feel like a a lot of the mainstream media coverage or media reports on the Hogs, they've been um, they don't voice their opinions. And I truly think, you know, Mike Irwin's going to tell you how it is yeah, uh, and tell you what he thinks. And, you know, that's very appreciative and it gives you another viewpoint than what everybody seems to think they hear. I think a lot of it, too, is just a mixture of things, you know, with social media. But you, like we said on Sunday, you're seeing other schools turn programs around so quickly. And that's where that nine-win season comes into play. I think that that, that nine-win season, yes, I think – Arkansas fans were happy about it, but it's like if you could trade knowing where we're at now, would you? You know, it, it was that a fluke or not a fluke, but too much pressure on moving forward because mm-hmm. of what you lost after that nine-win season. And then, of course, you have a, a, a NFL talent wide receiver who really changes your offense in, in Traylon Burks. Now you're sitting with KJ and, and having to deal with offensive line issues and and there was a comment of right here it says no threat of throwing the deep ball keeps the box stacked as well we haven't thrown a deep ball yet this year well that has to do with blocking if you're not blocking enough to do the run game you're not blocking enough to get your receivers 20 30 yards down the field to get them the ball down mm-hmm. you know so that has a, that goes hand in hand um but no i mean i don't think i mean i don't think Pittman I'm, I'm with Mike. I don't think he's gone after this year. I mean, there might be some come-to-Jesus meetings with, with Enos and be like, look, you know, either you adapt. It's almost like what people said about Saban in the past. You know, he never adapted to the game, and then he finally adapts, and then you see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
you look at Mike Anderson. He never adapted. So he, you know, that's where we're with Eric Musselman. I think a lot of it is just seeing what can happen. But, you know, Sam Pittman had to deal with two coaching changes last year. And in the seat started getting a little more because he alluded to it. He said, hey, look, it was going to be them because it's not going to be my job. So this offseason, hopefully they can turn things around and, and get things back on the back track because like we ended with, they play hard against Alabama, and, and I'm not going to bring the, uh, the almost into it, but say they do pull off an upset. So they do shock the world and then come in – and beat Mississippi State, you reel those two wins, get a win on the road and then win on the home. Look, I mean, we're talking – all everything we've been talking about in two, three weeks is is almost washed away. Not totally, but we're talking yeah. about a totally different team. Yeah, going into this game, I mean, just not doing – not going with the, old, the almosts and the whatnot, but go into this game and play as perfect as you can, the best of your abilities – and we know that this Alabama team can and possibly will make some mistakes. So you have to capitalize on those moments. Um, if you don't capitalize on those moments, then you're not going to have a chance. And we've seen some bad Arkansas teams battle with Alabama. I mean, and I know that – and I, was, I went on an uh, Alabama podcast and we were talking about – just how sneaky this game is. And that is where I don't think Alabama is going to overlook this game because they know. Mm-hmm. But but you look, even – and this game ended up being 65-31, but back in 18, I mean, it seemed like Arkansas was right there in the mix of that game until the very end. You look at last year's game, 49-26, Arkansas was in that game until Milrow ran off on that third and long, and then they just kind of run away with it. The game in Alabama, 2021, 42-35. So this has always been a sneaky game. And the fact that if Arkansas goes in and they're believing they can win, anything can happen. Because the fans don't get into it. The players are kind of, unless the play, you know, this is not a typical saving team. So the fans aren't into it. The players are kind of just running through this. It could be it. that that could be the recipe for something like Arkansas pulling off an upset. Not saying this is going to happen. I'm saying this is the perfect recipe that you have eleven o'clock game. Quirky things have happened with eleven a.m. kickoffs, and the fact that what we alluded to, Arkansas, if they get tired of getting hit in the mouth so much. You, you never know. When they start fighting back, anything can happen. Yeah, and at some point, I mean, you know, we've seen the frustration with KJ. Um, at some point, these guys are going to rally around him and just realize, all right, for him, we've got to get our head out of our, you know, yeah. butt and, and get this going because, you know, they, they're wanting to send him off, potentially this being his last season, on a high note. So the struggles, I know it's not just affecting KJ. You know, these other guys are taking it to heart too. Yeah, and and that, because that's their quarterback, and, and that's the whole the 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 Terrell Owens meme. That's my quarterback. You know, that's my quarterback. Yeah. And again, you know, he's it's going to come, and this is what is I guess clouded him realizing how close the season's over with is because of just the frustration. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it's going to click. Like, look, I've only got so many more games in this uniform. I've only got so many more games as a Razorback 
I am breaking these records, and I'm not. I'm not accepting being here at two and four. I'm not accepting. Say after next week, we're two and five. Something's finally going to click to where hopefully we do something and get some wins to, because he deserves it. You know, you look at all mm-hmm. the sports and all the programs where people have gotten programs out of the ashes, and they deserve. He deserves more than any of them to be sent out like like a, a, a winner and a winning mm-hmm. quarterback. Because I'll tell you what, he can break every single record at Arkansas, but if they spend it four and eight or five and seven, he's going to be remembered, well, did he win? Well, yeah. did he win? Nothing's going to be remembered about what he did for the program other than, well, did he win? That's always going to be in the back of people's minds. And obviously not talking to KJ directly, not trying to put well, – I mean – not trying to say what's in his head, but you know, as a competitor, he would trade every record being broken to have a completely different season. Yeah, exactly. And I think the only thing, the only thing that you can take away, and this is, you ask any athlete, the only thing you're trading is the, or not trading is if it's a SEC championship or a national championship mm-hmm. that you can, yeah, being on top of the record books, it doesn't matter. You look at Matt Jones. I mean, that guy's on top of the record books, but they remember him more for what he did than mm-hmm. him being on in the record books. Clint Stoner's the same way. They're going to remember that 98 Tennessee game. They're going to remember that 99 Tennessee game more than any other thing he's done. You you look at what have they done for this program, and the, but those memories. Miracle mm-hmm. on Markham. Miracle on Markham times two for Matt Jones. You remember all of those things. Quinn Grovey, the shootout against Andre Ware. You know, people remember moments in time, and it adds to your legacy. And that's where we're at. I think this team needs to step up. And I want to end on this, and I'll let you you, you wrap up your, your segment too. But I was watching on TikTok, and there was a, a Phillies player, Trey Turner, having mm-hmm. a huge slump, having a, one of the worst slumps in, in Philly history. I think it was like a 40-game slump. And somebody went on TikTok and said, hey, let, let's, um, let's not boo Trey Turner tonight. Let's, let's give him a standing ovation. And it spread through social media, and it spread, you know, like a while. I mean, they were talking about radio stations. Well, he gets up to bat, and they give him a huge standing ovation, and the crowd's there to cheer him on. And – he turns things around, hits a home run, and then he goes on this tear and just really jumps out of that. So I'm kind of, in a way, I, I know it, it's hard on the road, but I'm kind of challenging the fans next week at Mississippi State at home to pack the stadium, to cheer them on, to you know give them a standing ovation when they come on the field because, listen, if, if not for anybody else, do it for KJ because this is going to be one of the last times, if you know, especially with football. Might be the last mm-hmm. time you get to see him in a Razorback uniform. So I challenge everybody, no matter what happens this Saturday, next next Saturday, let, let's show up for KJ against Mississippi State. Let's pack their, the stadium, and let's give them a standing ovation when they come back because they've been gone on this four-game road trip. And maybe, you never know, it, it, it's worked for the Phillies and Trey Turner. Maybe it would work for, for K.J. Jefferson as well and, and the Razorbacks. Yeah, I mean, it's take a look at everything. You're allowed to, you know, obviously we want you to express your opinions, express your viewpoints, but you can do that without being malicious, without coming after them personally. So, I mean, 
what's the point in trying to tear these guys down? You can, you know, give constructive criticism without just being a complete jerk about it. So, I mean, there's really no point. I get we're frustrated, but at the same time, you know, give them something to rally around. Yeah. And, and that you make a valid point, you know, just, I mean, we have the right to, and every Razorback fan mm-hmm. has the right and totally understand. There's not anyone w- with a, in the sane mind that would be like, you have no reason to be upset with this team or frustrated with this team. It's just how we go about doing it. And I know it's funny. It's like you're in the heat of the moment, and I wonder how many people who do these tweets and these outside of trolling, outside of being funny and trolling, I mean, Mm -hmm. these anger tweets and stuff, how many of the people looking back would, man, if I would just – cooler heads will always prevail. Would they take back some of the things they said? Nine times out of ten, they probably would. Because they're just yeah, saying I've, in I've, the moment. I've kind of told like people I know, whatever. If people, whenever I see it, I'm just kind of like, I wish if you're you're going to type something out, type it out, reread it, or close the app. Don't send it. Open it back up a few minutes later. Read it back to yourself and be like, Do I really need to send yep. this? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't know. We. I'm just so I'm ready for things to turn back around and and yeah, because everybody's already getting ready for basketball season. But uh, like I said. I want us to be able to enjoy the last couple of games that, that KJ has a, as a Razorback. And I might be saying this, and he comes back next year. I mean, that, that might very well happen, but you don't know. So that that's my challenge. And hopefully Sunday when we come back, we're, we're singing a different tune and, and we're talking about maybe turning things around. But uh, for Adam Hall, I'm Porter Hayes. Thank you again for Mike Irwin coming on and talking to us. And we're always brought to you by Bet Online and Arkansas Brewing Company. We're going to come to you tomorrow night at seven. We're going to do. We're bringing back the weekly women's sports report. Adam and I are going to break down the all the women's programs and all the rankings and top ten volleyballs ranked higher than they've ever been. Soccer team got their first SEC loss, so we're going to talk a lot about them. The golf team's number one in the country. You got women's basketball coming up. They're going to be very, very exciting this year, and and looking forward to, to talking about all those programs tomorrow night. But we will catch you tomorrow night. See you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.